capitalists. We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker. And on today's show, well, Ron, it's Free Rider Friday. Right on, Ed. Been looking forward uh, to it all week. Uh, all month. <laughs> all month. <laughs> Been storing up for this. Yeah, it's going to be great. Always, always look forward to the Free Rider Friday. Get fired up for it, just because uh, it's it's just a lot of fun to see what's on your mind, what you're thinking. On and although you and I talk fairly often, there's a lot of stuff that we don't talk about. So this gives us a chance to share that with one another, and we do it in front of a live audience. For those of you who are listening for the first time to a Free Rider Friday show. It's the show where Ron and I just kind of surf off the news or just stuff that we're, we're thinking about or talking about and uh, wanted to, to share with our audience and sometimes get some good feedback from you. Hey, it's show number 251, Ron. Isn't that amazing? No, That's great. That's great. Coming up and on 300, Ed, another, uh, another milestone. I, yeah, another year. I would say probably sometime next June, I would imagine, if, if things hold. Right, right toward the end of June will be at show 300. And I, I, I don't get tired of saying the intro. You know, I was just thinking about that. It's always, it's always good. It's always fun to, fun to do. So Yeah. So what do you got? What do you want to start right. with? You let have me, to set me, the tone. Yeah, I got to set the tone. So this is this is going to be good. Have you heard about this thing called Psyche, Ron? It's an asteroid. Have you heard about this? No. Psyche. Yeah. Oh, okay. Psyche. Yep. Yep. It's an asteroid that's out there. This is uh, from our friends at FEE, of course, Freedom for okay. Education. And uh, this is a story by David Youngberg. And... Uh, published on July 10th. Uh, Psyche is a massive asteroid. It's in the asteroid belt. And as it turns out, Ron, it's made of gold. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's all made of gold. Let it hit towards my house. Well, see, that's that's where everybody's saying. And, and of course, now one of the things that we, since we sent a probe to study both not only psyche but other asteroids there's a you know there's a huge uh to chatter about this to say that you know this is has the potential to destroy the earth's economy mm-hmm. right because ready for this psyche has ready ten thousand quadrillion dollars so that would be one quintillion one Jeez. quintillion <laughs> but I don't know why they decided to say 10,000 quadrillion when you could have said 10 quintillion. I guess right. because at least quadrillion people would be like, oh, trillion, quadrillion. All right, great. <laughs> Quint- quintillion is after that. So 10,000 or 10 quad uh, quintillions worth of gold at the, at, the, at the average prices. And then, of course, this, the, the other claim in one of the other articles that this, this article cites is, just think of it. Everyone on Earth would be a billionaire. How great I mean, would that be? Uh, <laughs> good thing we don't have the gold standard. Otherwise, could you say hyperinflation? <laughs> yeah, right. It would just be like, oh, no. Now, 
what is interesting is he, he points out, and I think this is a great article because of it, it, it completely turns on itself, is not only would harvesting hiking not cause an economic collapse, it would actually be a boon, right, to us. And the reason is, is because once gold becomes ubiquitous and sells for nearly nothing, then all of those resources would be freed up to do something else. Right. Well, that's one of the arguments against the gold standard that Milton Friedman used to make. Why spend all these resources looking for gold? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, Ah. and look, so there you go. I think that, so, because you and I, we've talked about, what is it with the planet that's, that's a diamond or something? Yeah. Yeah. You had brought that up. The, the, you know writer. that's a long but the problem is is that one is like light years away this this is really close actually i mean all things considered that's fascinating i missed that uh i, I didn't see that article out of feed that's interesting i have to check that out yeah yeah so there you go boy there's been all sorts of stuff yeah because of the 50th anniversary of the moon landing and all that and the economists had this <clears throat> huge write-up on um just satellites and how there's a bunch of junk in space that could, you know, cause damage to these things. And as more and more go up there, that's become going to become a bigger problem. Yeah, no, it definitely, especially some of the stuff that's like in geosynchronous or- orbit, that right. in theory, if, if it breaks apart at the right space, it messes up, you know, what would I do without my ways? I mean, I can't get yeah. anywhere now without ways, so, <laughs> but I actually have to know where the hell I'm going. That would be awful. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, all right, Ed. I got one. This, yeah, you probably have this too. It could be, could be, in, could be in both of our stacks. But this is Uber is trying out uh, a global subscription program in Chicago and San Francisco, where it's combining all of its major services: so ride hailing, Uber Eats, food delivery, and bike and scooter rentals. You have access to all of this for twenty four ninety nine a month. Now you get price protection or a fixed discount on every ride hail trip, but you get free delivery of Uber Eats and free rides on their bikes and their scooters for twenty four ninety nine a month. And you know they're always looking for ways to make Uber the go to option for your everyday needs. Um, last year, and I think we talked about this, they introduced their Ride Pass subscription service, where customers locked in a flat rate. But uh, and and now they do offer ride pass, by the way, in over two dozen markets. But it this article says that tech companies, especially unprofitable ones like Uber, are growing increasingly interested in subscriptions uh, because it's just a way to lock in the the consumer to that to that brand, right? Mm-hmm. Just like Amazon Prime. And this this was my favorite line, and I forget where this article because this article comes from The Verge. Um, July 23rd by Andrew J. Hopkins. I love this line. Frequent consumer behaviors are unclassified subscriptions anyway. Smokers unwittingly subscribe to Philip Morris. <laughs> okay, got it. I see where they're going with that. Sure. Right, sure. right. And just like, you know, Starbucks, right? The average customer goes 18 times a month or whatever. That's practically, mm-hmm. you know, there's another candidate. I don't know if they do it. I know they you can get your card and all that, but subscription for Starbucks would be a very interesting test. 
Yeah, I, you know, and they do do it, and they do have the app. And I think one of the advantages, of course, of having the app is is placing your order and then just walking in and picking it up sure. when it's ready, right? Sure, so, I see that a lot more. That right. happens all the time. But do but do they have a subscription? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, Not okay. that we we're just like a regular subscription. Now, how would it work? I suppose that you could have a, a, a geofencing type technology so that once you are within certain distance from your local Starbucks, it triggers a, are you ready to place your order kind of thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be, that would be cool, but. Well, I'm just thinking more of, I mean, it sounds insane, but like an all you can eat buffet, you know, um, but Hey, you can just pick up a cup, cup of coffee anytime you want. Just, Whatever, it's all yeah. inclusive. Yes, and I would think that that would be great. That Again, I would think the value, though, is not having to wait on the line. True, true. That would right. certainly be part of it. I right. think it'd be double-pronged. It'd be not waiting on the line and, and also, hey, this isn't all-you-can-eat thing. Right. Maybe, right. Even, maybe even make it eligible for a guest. Yeah. And I, that, that, I mean, there's probably some data on that. I'm sure that uh, Starbucks does have this, but how often do people order the same thing? I mean, I, I, I would say 90% of my orders are the same thing, mm-hmm. but I think there's a lot of people who to do, do a variation, like have sure. a, sure. You know, different times uh, a day or whatever. Yeah. 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 That yeah. One might, might make it a little bit more challenging. But, you know, look, if it's the 2080 rule, you've got just like the alcoholics, right? 20% of the alcohol or alcohol consumers are 80% of the, <laughs> then why wouldn't you want to do something special for that 20% and really lock them in? Yeah. No, agreed. Uh, I don't know. What struck me about this Verge article with Uber, these tests, is this is, this is pricing the portfolio, right? Because it's yeah. going across all of their services. Yeah. So that's what, that's what caught my eye about it. So, yeah. Well, I got one on subscription that I probably can squeeze in here before our first break. And this is from our, from uh, Tien, uh, Tien, I'm sorry, Tien mm. So over at Zora. Mm-hmm. And it's part of, part of their weekly subscri- uh, subscription or subscription to their subscription newsletter, right? right. <laughs> Interesting. And so here's, and this is just an update on some of the things that we've previously talked about. This is, he, he says that every major OEM in in the uh, uh, auto industry space has, has pretty much launched a, a subscription program now. Mm-hmm. So they've got BMW, Porsche, Lexus, Audi, Land Rover, Mercedes, Benz. And here's what was some of the interesting things is that, and, and I had not seen this anywhere else. Porsche says that 80% of its subscribers are completely new to the brand. <sighs> that's isn't, phenomenal. Is, isn't that, that's, that is a jaw dropping statistic. Wow. Wow. That even shocks me that much. Volvo plans to have fully half of its automobiles sold on a subscription by 2025. Yep. Okay. So that's Volvo. And now they're saying that the marketplace for auto subscriptions by 2030 will be $1.5 trillion worldwide. Right. And they mentioned here all of the, the ones that, that you and I have previously talked about. Canvas, FlexDrive, Karma, Silvercar, Fair, Toro. Right. These are, right. These are all different subscription services for cars. Canvas is really interesting, Ed, because they're, they're in many geographical territories. They're here in the Bay Area. 
they mm-hmm. offer a range of cars. I mean, Lexus, Infinity, um, you know, Honda. Um, the thing is, from what I've been able to see, they do have mileage restrictions on them. Now, I don't know if that's just some of the models or across the board, but there is a mileage thing. I've got to think that that's one of the things that's going to shake out, right? That's that's yep. going to be, be one of the things that it will figure figure out by by testing in different markets, which which thing people prefer. Do they want the 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 mileage or not? You know, right. in my case, if I got to subscribe to a, a car, I would probably be fine with the the mileage thing because you know my car goes back and forth to baseball practice in the airport, right. Right. I mean, that's the majority of trips that I make. So I would be totally fine with that. Whereas you were like, no way I couldn't, I could never have a mileage restriction on it. I mean, most people drive below 15,000, I think most are around 10. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I also think uh, another thing that will shake out is how often can they, can you change the model, you know, the brand, uh, that would, that would be another thing that I I would think would vary between these programs, but still that's fascinating. Yep. Yeah. Really neat stuff. So there's a, there's an update on those, that subscription thing. Anyway, well, we're already up against our first break. Want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And wanted to also remind you that the best thing that you could do for us, if you're a listener to the show, is go out to iTunes and or SoundCloud and or iHeartRadio and or Stitcher and or all of those places where you could listen to Google Play and give the show a rating. Uh, just star rating if you can, but we would love to have two or three sentences that you would write for us. And we do monitor those places as well. And if you do write us a review, we will read it on the air. We want to remind you that you can also look uh, up and see what's happening on future shows at, at the soul of enterprise.com and our monthly calendar. But right now a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing Free Rider Friday. And Ed, this one comes out of The Economist from July 13th. And it's talking about the legalization of cannabis in Canada. And one of the main reasons they did it was to protect the young. It's for the children, Ed. It's for the children. It's always for the children. And it's based on the theory that regulated sales would drive out illegal sellers, right? Legal sellers would probably be more likely to abide by age restrictions. I think that's right? true, though. I think uh, that's true. Now, there's a wealth of historical data in America. Today, 33 states in the U.S. permit medical cannabis. 11 have legalized recreational use, most recent being Illinois, which just signed it as of June 25th. But until now, the evidence on youth use was mixed. In Washington state, one study found increased use among 8th and 10th graders after legalization. But there's been a new study in the Journal of JAMA Pediatrics, which attempts a more comprehensive national analysis of high school students. Uh, and they do it through a survey known as the Youth Risk Behavior Surveys. It found that relatively permissive laws were associated with a 9% decrease in frequent cannabis use. There was no evidence that legalization of cannabis for medical purposes encouraged use among young Americans. Uh, even though the drop's not large, um, they say correlation between policy changes and a dip in teenage use, a causal connection is plausible. Mm. No, <laughs> so no, there you no. go. I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not going there either. I, yeah. you know, I think, uh, I think it remains to be seen, but let's face it what you know, a lot of the uh, opponents to legalization of, of any type of drug said, Oh, well this would just, you know, usage rates would skyrocket. Right. Um, and I don't think we're seeing that much. I mean, I haven't really dived into that data, but, uh, at least it's not happening among the young. Well, I, in fact, I caught something this week. In fact, it was earlier today. I, did, I didn't d dive down and I didn't realize that you were going to bring this up. Otherwise, I would have. But something came across my desk on, you know, we don't talk about Portugal anymore. We just don't talk about it. That's right. Yes. <laughs> right. And because apparently in Portugal, they legalize everything. Yep. Yep. Even that drug. That's what this article said. What, what drug? That drug. They've said, <laughs> right. Right. And it wasn't it wasn't decriminalization, was it? It was legalization. It was legalization. However, if you are caught with more than a 10 days supply and I'm going from memory here from this, right, right. I, remember, I did not. Uh, if you're caught with more than a 10 day supply of any of the drugs, you have to appear before some kind of a board mm. that. I guess to, ch you know, to check about addiction. Right. Right. Gotcha. Right. Cause they want to help. They want to help with addiction. It's, but it rarely, they said, do they impose any kind of a fine? Although there is a provision for that in the law, right. That they could theoretically fine you, but they said, rarely do people get fined at all. Good. Good it. thing. They don't check my wine cellar. Yeah. Right. Do you have more than a 10 day <laughs> supply run? Well, I don't know. That might vary. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Depends on how much I drink in one night. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so I, th I thought that was interesting. That was interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I, I, all of those, I'm even more and more suspect of those types of things on either side of that argument. And I, and I am for drug legalization. But just because the, 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 there's a great example of how is this data gathered? 
Oh, risk surveys. I mean, asking people, right. you know, re- revealed preference, right? Watch what people do, not what they say. And that, that's, right. a, that's a big problem. Yeah. And, and, and you're comparing it to what, right? right. It, after, after legalization, well, now the stigma to a certain extent has been removed. So therefore, you're more likely to say that you're a user, let's say. Sure. Right? Uh, so therefore that's going to mess things up. It's like, it may, it may not be that actual use goes up, it just may be the admission to use goes up. Exactly. Yep. Right? It's hard to, so, it's really hard to tease out those differences. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm just suspect of, of any kind of data around that. Well, yep. I hear you. All, all right. right. Um, what do I got here? Let's talk, well, let's talk about this. This is sort of a, 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 an abuse problem of sorts. This one goes back to uh, June 17th. I picked this one up also out of fee and it's about the overuse of mathematics and economics. Oh, I saw that article. It's not my stack, but I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Great piece. So I'll just, just uh, talk a little bit about this. And the, one of the, the pull quotes from it is many contemporary economists fail to realize that economics is much, as much a, fil- a philosophical pursuit as it is a mathematical one. And he goes into a nice brief history, of course, talks about wealth of nations and you know how then it was, was John Stuart Mill. All of these guys considered more philosophers really than they were economists, so to speak. And that's only because then Malthus got a hold of it and all of these calculations. Then, of course, the, the 1890 Alfred Marshall, which then, of course, led to Keynes and his general theory and all, all of this stuff. But one of the things that it just it, it struck me with is this paragraph that is talking about quantifying the unmeasurable, because as you and I talk uh, an awful lot about, measurement is, is so challenging, right? And that it says it's it's nearly impossible to measure the to, to quantify human action. Although equations such as utility measures do quantify human behavior, they are faulty when examined. How can an, an equation tell me if I am no longer satisfied with a certain good? And I love this. Mathematically speaking, marginal t- utility becomes negative. That may be true. The problem is to determine how much chocolate will give me a stomach ache. Right. <laughs> <is> a, a, <laughs> Right. A doctor can't tell me that, let alone an economist. I love that line. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And this was then reminded me about, did you listen to Russ Roberts show this week? No, I haven't yet. Okay. So it, it really interesting show. And one of the things that, that Russ talks about is a, a article that he wrote, I think back in, in March, which I meant to talk about. I think it was in my stack and then I deleted it as part of a purge. But there's one line in that that I, I, I really love, and I want to, you know, first of all, listen to Russ Roberts' show this week. But he's got the, the line from his article is, there isn't a variable for dignity in the data set. Right. He always, yeah, it's one of his favorite lines now. You know? Yeah. And I think that is such an important thing for everyone to understand that 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 dignity cannot be something that is measured at all because at, first of all it's 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 immeasurable but also in a lot of ways it's it's just what you think about yourself yeah it, it, you know it kind of goes back to the spiritual and the materialist right i mean the spiritual stuff cannot by definition be measured and if you really start getting into this you realize the most important things in life can't be measured even though some people have written books how they can be it's like no you're confusing <laughs> the yep. materialist and the spiritual yeah and even how and i think this was was interesting too is that uh, the, the materialist fallacy i think has overtaken most sides of the political argument 
you know, when you, when you hear something like, Hey, well, you know, we'll just, we, 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 if, if yes, this, this thing, whatever it is, robot robots, let's say is going to take away people's jobs. Right. And of course, of course, our side might say, uh, well, yes, that's true. Certain people will lose their jobs over it, but that in, in aggregate, it would be better for the economy or everyone in general because that we have an increase to efficiency. Right. Right. Now, we we do tend to ignore that people will lose jobs. That will happen. Right. And 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 the dignity of those people could be adversely affected. Sure. Right. He says the, the other side tends to also look at it as a, as a materialist problem, too, and say, well, then the, the simple answer is, is that we just we just give them, you know, lo- longer on the dole. Right. Longer unemployment right. insurance UBI or, right? or yeah. UBI, right. All, Retraining. All right. But but notice that that both of these things completely ignore dignity. Right. All the, all they do is they they just address the material. Well, you know, ours is a consequentialist argument that says as a consequence of this, we're all better, better off. And therefore, we, it's just going to be have to have to be something that we accept. It leaves out the dignity of the people that lost their job. It does. Sure. sure. Right. So well, I don't know, you know what I don't know what policy or public policy can do about dignity. It seems that seems to be self-propelled. It is self-propelled, and I think that's one of the late the, the the things that I've been thinking an awful lot about this week is, and that 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 is true completely across the board, mm-hmm. right? And and the answer is is that no, there isn't a public policy. And what's the what's the answer? One, the answer is better discernment on our own part. Sure, right for you and I to better discern the things that we that we see ourselves. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but Jordan Peterson, you know, make your bed. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> and and then the second thing is, and it is if if you feel that you are, you you can begin to do a better job, but not that you're going to get it perfect, by the way, right? But that you you are finding yourself being more discerning of things as you're as you're processing through them, then begin to assist others by helping them ask questions. Right. Yep. And that's and that's the answer. I mean, that's the public policy. <laughs> that's yeah, right. Which isn't a public policy. It's Which a isn't civil, a public policy. It's, it's an individual it's, policy. It's a yeah. civil, yeah, civil society yep. issue. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I can't. Yeah, I, I that that shows in my feed. I'm dying to listen to it. So he's had some really good shows on lately, by the way. The, yeah. The, the medicine one. Um, you know, the case for conservative medicine, and there was a couple others that I really, really enjoyed. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the author of this article, I left that out. I'm sorry. Uh, Luca Nikolic. Luca Nikolic. Right. I did see that. That was a great article. Well, Ed, we're up against it. And folks, we'd like to remind you, you want to send an email to Ed or myself. You can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. We'd also like to remind you about the Verisage Symposium that's going to be held in Melbourne, Australia, the week of November 11th of this year. And there's multiple events going on. One is sponsored by InnoVim and the Art of Value. It's going to be a full-day workshop. And that is going to be held in the city of Melbourne, I believe. And then the Verisage Symposium, which starts on the 13th, I think, with a cocktail reception. Uh, And then full days on the 14th and 15th. That will be held in Geelong, which is a little bit south of Melbourne. Beautiful area that John's picked out for us. We're really excited about this. For more information, you can check it out at verisage.com slash VDU for Verisage Down Under.
And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here doing Free Rider Friday for the month of July. And Ed, this is out of The Economist, July 6th from France. For four decades, booksellers in France, bookstores, have successfully lobbied to keep the forces of the free market at bay. A law passed in 1981 bans the sale of any book at anything other than the price decreed by the publisher. It's meant to keep customers loyal to their local bookshop and out of the clutches of supermarkets and other American capitalistic corporations. Um, you know, and then of course now the advent of e-commerce and e-readers have prompted questions like, you know, can you fix the price of a book if it's part of an all you can read subscription service or audiobooks, <laughs> books at all? What about authors who self-publish? Um in 2011, the rule began to apply to digital tomes. Free delivery by online sellers was prohibited on the grounds it implied a subsidy on the delivered books, um, which prompted websites to charge, you know, a penny for postage. Um, used books are exempt from the pricing rule. Third-party sellers on Amazon are accused of using this as a way to apply forbidden discounts, selling brand new books as secondhand, as you would imagine. Um, Amazon claims its practices are legal. Booksellers are fuming. Uh, defenders of the fixed price principle, uh, which has spread to other parts of Europe, by the way, says it helps keep independent bookshops viable. Um, bookshops are amongst the most least profitable retail businesses. Um, you know, the economist says books are expensive in France. It's an odd way to encourage people to buy more. And then one of the bookshop owners said this, he said, on the internet, you find what you look for. He said, but only in the bookshop do you find what you were not looking for. 
So I guess that's all the reason you need for why books need to be sold at a fixed price. I By got law. I got nothing. <laughs> Isn't that? Are you? I know. I, I know you're sitting there going, are you kidding? Because that's exactly my reaction when I read this story. <laughs> so really, for since 1981, so long before. Uh, it's, it's, I just can't. I'm just, I can't. <laughs> it's just. I, you know, the, wow. The only time you pay a, a what the publisher price is, I mean, that even even when there was no Amazon, you'd go into a borders, almost everything was discounted. I mean, not you know, not everything. There were some like business books or other books that that sold at full list price, but ugh, it's just weird. That I, I, I. I it, I guess Amazon is in France, but the, the, but I guess they don't sell many books. I guess they can sell their other stuff, right? Yeah, except their I guess their secondhand dealers are doing pretty good. Yeah, really. <laughs> that wow. is a great loophole. Just to you know, go yeah. buy the book and then be able to discount it. Yeah. So and and then sell it like new. <laughs> right. But uh, I mean, th- that's just weird. It is weird. But it's France. Uh, what do you expect? Oh man. I bet they do the same thing for cheese. I don't know. <laughs> what did De Gaulle say? How do you govern a country that's got 530 types of cheeses? Cheese, yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, yeah, I really don't know where to. I like. I have nothing to add to that. It's just. That's it's, okay. I know it's mind numbing. It is mind. It's like I just cannot believe that. That is. That is wow. Insane. All right. Let me. Uh, let me throw this at you. I thought this was was. Uh, pretty cool. I, I interviewed someone for the other podcast I do, the Sage Advice podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the second time that she has been a guest. Her name is Grace Marshall. She's one of our, I, and I hate this term, but that's what we call them, the UK influencers, the Sage influencers. Uh, and she had, the first time I uh, talked to her, she did, she was a, a big efficiency person, right? Mm-hmm. Now on my, on my Sage Advice podcast. I'm just the host interviewing people. I don't usually push back, right? It's sure. just letting people kind of get their stuff out, right? And but, they're short, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, what I do do is sometimes I keep them on after I record and I say, hey, you know, you might be interested in this, you know, and I'll just like <laughs> just drop the effing debate google yeah. the effing. And, and and sometimes and sometimes they 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 pick up on it, sometimes they don't. Now, I have no evidence that that grace picked up on the conversation that we had afterwards, but she, again, in interviewing her a second time and her interview, her second interview has not gone live yet, but she recently wrote a blog post called efficiency or deficiency. Right. (laughs) And the, the, the quote was that she has from this crispy Wimber who just says what, what was efficient yesterday is deficient today, which I kind of like bingo. Right. Right. I kind of, I really, I really do like that. And this is a really interesting example that Grace talks about on this blog post. She says, let's take bread making as an example, right? And I'm reading now directly from this. We swap traditional farming methods and crops for intensive mass farming, favoring monoculture and less diverse wheat crops, which rely heavily on fertilizers and pesticides, right? And this is obviously in some cases a good thing because we get higher yield, Right. The lack of diversity and addition of chemicals, 
reduce the nutritional value overall, right? Because sometimes the more nutritional wheats were the ones that were more likely to die, right? That kind of thing. Sure. Right. So as a result, we have less nutritional wheat. The millers exchange stone ground mills for steel rollers, which are very efficient at separating the components into the grain, but also strip out many of the micronutrients that are that are concentrated on the outer layers of the germ. That's the skin right around mm -hmm. the, around the seed itself. Right. Uh, bakers who used to use good ingredients and slow fermentation methods, which allow good bacteria and cultures to develop, were replaced by large-scale industrial factories where bread is made by using rolled and milled flour and fast-acting yeast, right? Because they want to get get stuff out. So, you know, the the bottom line is here is that in a in a way, all of the, everybody becoming more efficient at every process has reduced the effectiveness, in a sense, of the nutritional value of the bread. Mm -hmm. Right? And I just thought that was a really good example. And then, then she turns and she says that th the same thing happens where, with our obsession with efficiency at work. And, and I will not read all of the, this article, but she, but he, she points out, I think it's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different things that she says that we stop doing, and here, here they are in order. Um, we stop thinking, we stop discerning, we stop listening, we stop stopping, we stop caring, we stop trusting, we stop questioning, we stop learning, we stop innovating, we stop laughing. That's a, that's a damning indictment. That's a shout out to Grace Marshall, huh? How yeah, about that? Absolutely. That's fantastic. Yep. 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 Good stuff. So, yeah, good stuff. So shout out to her and, and, and this, and we'll publish a link obviously on our show notes to, to this, this, uh, this article, but uh, great, great piece. Great piece. Well, Ed, you've talked in the past about various uh, rock stars. I think Bruce Springsteen, maybe a few others, how good they are, their ticket sales, you know, they try and uh, do things to so people can attend their concerts, you know, that that constant debate, right? Economists are like, well, why do you just charge a high price if there's a secondary well, market? Yeah, just or what? one quick correction. Springsteen sucked at it. He, oh, he, Spring, he okay, wanted, okay. Yeah, he, that was the example. <laughs> yeah. uh, was it a country guy who, who you liked who said he did a really good job or whatever? Uh, yeah, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's our, but, but, but I specifically remember the Springsteen one is he, he, he sucked at it. He wanted to charge everybody 75 bucks in the whole place. Oh, right, right. Yeah, no, that would be really stupid. Well, this, yeah. this also from The Economist, July 13th, this is uh, how Wimbledon prices their tickets. Now, you know, obviously economists would say, well, you want to allocate scarce resources like Wimbledon seats. Uh, you do that through pricing, um, but you also have, you know, it's a popular event. You want a lot of people uh, to be able to see it. A lot of tennis fans don't have a lot of money, maybe whatever. So they have a pretty interesting way uh, of doing it around a sixth of the seats on center court are reserved for what they call debenture holders who pay through the nose for a specific uh, seat for five years. These can go anywhere from, uh, from 2021 to 2025, they were selling for 80,000 pounds, which is about a hundred grand. Uh, wow. A single resale ticket to one event, I guess, costs thousands. Other seats, so that's about one sixth of the seats. Other seats are rationed in different ways. The first is chance. The All England Club runs a ballet six months before and 
the tournament each year, uh, allocated pair of tickets at a price that varies according to the day in court. Uh, this year it was between 33 pounds and 190, and those cannot be resold. The second way they do it is through queuing, except on the final four days, 500 tickets for the top courts are sold every day to those first in line. And every day, thousands more ground tickets are available for around eight to 25 pounds. The tickets of those leaving early are also resold for just 10 to 15 pounds. Hmm. So I thought that was a really interesting way to quote unquote scale the house, you know, yeah. and, and still keeping it somewhat demographic, you know, demographic or, uh, you know, keep it, keep it egalitarian, if you will, give people a fair chance so they yeah. don't have to pay these uh, $80,000 prices. Cause that's a pretty elite event. I mean, I'm not a big tennis fan, but I know it's also really popular. I'll even get, I'll get sucked into watching it. Yeah, no, no, it's great. It's, it, it is a, a fun event. And I, I usually peek in at least for the, the finals. In fact, I was fascinated by the, because the, they changed the rules this year. Did you see right. that for the men's yes. final? Yep. They, they actually went back to a more traditional, you have to win on, in, I think it's in the fifth set only, you have to win by two games. Uh, okay. But, but, on, uh, but unfortunately what they did was they did that until it got to 12 all, in which case then they went to a straight out tiebreaker, which mm. uh, that uh, I guess I guess that's good for them as as human beings that because you know sometimes it could theoretically go on forever until somebody collapses, which would probably not be a good thing. <laughs> well, it's just good to see. Uh, you know, this is a form of obviously price discrimination, different types of pricing, and and uh, it's just good to see it working in a, in a you know in a logical way. And it's kind of like what Britain did with the Olympics too. They remember they charge prices based on your age. So mm -hmm. if you were 19, you paid 19 pounds to get into the events or whatever. But that right. was pretty clear. And that worked really well for them. It did. It did. I mean, and that to, I think a certain extent makes a lot of sense because yeah, I, the, the weird part is, is like the senior citizens discounts and all that stuff are positioned as, you know, quote people on a fixed income. Mm -hmm. Man, in certain areas of the country, that, that that's a, that is, that is the wrong thing to do, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, 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 the group that leads needs it the least is getting the yeah. discount. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I'm coming up though, Ron. There's some places that start to offer them at 50, 52. I know, right? Ed. I know. I it's, know. it's like that Seinfeld episode when he's staying with his parents in Florida and he goes, I'm not going out to dinner at 4 p.m. and <laughs> <laughs> just to get the darn discount. And they all show up at the restaurant at like seven and all the elderly people are coming out. Oh, look at Mr. Moneybags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny. great episode. That is a great episode. It is a great episode. All right. Already against our third break here, Ron. Want to remind you that you can look at the show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows on the soul of enterprise.com. I mentioned the calendar there, but we also have our archive of all, and I can say this now with certainty, 250 previous episodes available. And lastly, want to make a mention of our Patreon site, patreon.com slash TSOE. And this is your last chance to sign up before the episode next week when we have Rory Sutherland on for one hour on the show, The Soul of Enterprise, and then only via the bonus episode will you get to hear the second hour with Rory Sutherland. That promises to be well worth the price of admission. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are free riding on Friday. And Ron, you know, one of the other ways that we free ride on this episode is to take stuff that some of our listeners have sent in. And I want a quick shout out to Daniel D., who sent us a really terrific infographic from Infogram on the, it's called the, the, the cubicle history desktop. Right. right. And uh, it was just, and it, one of his comments was, is he, yeah, I'm so glad I listened to the soul of enterprise because I was able to know who Frederick Taylor was <laughs> and that I could then blame him for all of this. And this is just the origins of the, and I did not know this, that the first ever office building, uh, was in London in 1726, mm-hmm. the first ever office building. Then he talked about uh, Frederick Taylor and the workplace and uh, also a great picture of the inside of the Johnson Wax headquarters by Frank Lloyd Wright. I don't know if right. you've seen that. It's absolutely magnificent and gorgeous. And it was one of the first open space areas, right, where they had people in multiple desks. Also leaked like a sieve, by the way. I Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> as magnificent an architect as Frank Lloyd Wright was, it was yeah. Sometimes that actual you know problems with the with the structure were secondary for him. Right. I'm sure he blamed <laughs> the builders anyway. Yeah, so. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. And then <laughs> talked about private workspaces, and then cubicles, and then back to open spaces. So anyway, thanks uh, for that, and also thanks to uh, Jamie Fry, who is the creator of that cubicle history. So uh, we, we, we appreciate that. Um, Ron, before I want to pass it back to you, I want to talk about one that I found in uh, Political Calculations, which is mm-hmm. a blog spot, Political Calculations, on the cost of a cup of coffee. Ah, okay. Right? Because this is something, you know, we always talk about the, the, this, this notion that, hey, you know, when we have, uh, what, you know, we hear people about concern about, well, oh, why do we have to pay that for? The price of that is nothing, blah, 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 blah. All right. So <laughs> people now need to stop, just stop with the EpiPen. Okay. Just like, because that's the one that gets trounced out all of the time. Yeah. Right. 
So these people who complain about the EpiPen, well, how much, you know, is it cost to put, you know, whatever that stuff is there that, you know, they, you know, they have 12 cents to manufacture, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Well, I got news for you. <laughs> the coffee ain't much different. Right. right? <laughs> the, the, the average cup of coffee in the United States is $3.12. Okay. Mm. $0.12 of that is coffee. Right. John Chisholm be happy. Another 12 cents is milk. So (laughs) get rid of that. (laughs) 22 cents is the cups, napkins and stirs. You have the additional uh, uh, taxation, which is 47 cents. The wages, which is 78 cents. And of course, the the shop costs, rent and all that stuff for a dollar 10. And a profit of 31 cents. Right. Anyway, they, they, they did this all over the world too. And this is, that's just the U S but the, the like the, the cost, the cost of a cup of coffee, I couldn't believe how varied it was. Zurich, $4 and 98 cents. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the Johannesburg, a dollar 49. And the lowest price that I saw, at least on the map that they show here, is Lagos, 62 cents. <laughs> so might be worth flying into Lagos for the 62-cent coffee. As yeah, especially if they offer a subscription. You know, yeah, that, there you go. That reminds me of the, the Big Mac index that The Economist did. I think in one of their issues, they did a Starbucks index they looked at a latte or something you know Mm -hmm. priced around the world and the variation is fascinating yep that's wild well ed there was a aicpa pcps member survey that came out and um this was in 2018 1910 participating firms they grouped them by firm size Um, these firms employ 19,310 cpas in them collectively. And the overall finding uh, says the 2018 survey reflects a declining use of hourly pricing. Firms of all sizes are increasing the use of value pricing and value billing. God knows what that means. And and fixed pricing. Um, For those that are stuck with hourly billing says the average rate increase was less than 1% over the two year period. But here's the interesting thing, the value pricing and value billing, and again, that's just dead wrong, percentages of firms, now these are self-reported, so I have all sorts of issues with the survey, but it does kind of give you a vector, what's going on. Um, And you agree with it, so therefore it's valid, right? Exactly, exactly, (laughs) it's the confirmation bias. It's confirmation Um, bias, all right. No, but I will say this, the baseline is, these are higher numbers than, than in any other survey that I've seen. Um, so for, for firms that are 10 million and up 15% value price. Now, um, that's, uh, I think that's a percentage of their revenue. Okay. That's what these percentages are. 15%. That's, that holds true for five to 10 million firms, one and a half to $5 million firms goes to 20% for 750,000 to one and a half million goes to 23% from 500 to 750 goes to 40% between 200 and 500. And for those firms below 200 grand, which I got to believe are mostly sole props, they report 50% are 
our value pricing and fix uh, and, and or value billing. There is a separate report for fixed pricing that varies between 20 and 28 percent. Uh, there's also per tax fee, uh, per, per tax form fee. So and, and that actually goes from 13 to 41 percent other. Geez, who knows what other would be five to seven percent. But and, and hourly billing is still predominant going from 63 to up to 80 percent. But it does show you that we are clearly in the um, what would you uh, not the uh, early adapter, but the innovator and maybe even a tinge of the early uh, majority stage of the of the graph, the diffusion curve. Awesome. So good. Just in time for us to exit that space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And say, oh, you're doing that wrong. Now you need to go yeah. to this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hence, hence, hence our propensity to get to want to do everything free of subscription pricing. Now that we've gotten everybody into the early adapter, we're done. We're done. We got to go back to the. I'm, to I'm the, sorry. Uh, the early majority. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah early majority. Just done. You and I have to go back to the innovator uh, side yeah. of the curve. But just on that, these these surveys, AICPA state society surveys. I hate them. They're non-random. They're unscientific. They're self-reported. There's a bunch of errors in them too, by the way, and they're they're nowhere near a random sample of the number of firms that are out there. And I just I take these with such a grain of salt. But it, it, you know, it can kind of give you a, a, an overview of what people are self-reporting that they're doing, which I question as well. But these numbers are the highest I've seen. Good. Well, that's that, that's that's good. So therefore, we agree with it. Give it the imprimatur. Yeah. <laughs> Must be right. <laughs> Must be right. It's good because it's what we think. Of course. That's right. All right. Well. Well, Ron, you know this is this has been a great show as always. We we got to, to on many topics. Usually, a couple more than than usual today. I think. Yeah, I think we got about six in each or something. That's mm-hmm. that's about right. Yep. So, as we mentioned, what do we got coming up next week? Wow, we have Rory Sutherland talking about his new book, Alchemy, and like you said, we have a bonus hour with him for the Patreon subscribers. That's just going to be phenomenal. I you know, I've been going through the book. I just can't wait. No, I can't either. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, he, keep in mind that he was going to call it benign BS. So you're in for a treat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Ed, I'm, uh, that's just going to be great. I will see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Please join us next week for Rory Sutherland on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit our website at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thank you.